Tonight on Text Pros and Rock and Roll, we talk with the founder of the band that would launch both the original garage band sound and inspire the term punk rock. I'm pleased to sit down with the founding guitarist of Question Mark and the Mysterians, the one and only Bobby Balderrama. That's coming up on Text Pros and Rock and Roll. My name is Chris Kostach. I created this program to highlight the written account of music, from artist memoirs to band bios and the occasional rock doc, too. We are the only show of its kind. This is Text Prose and Rock and Roll. Track 23, Question Mark and the Mysterians. I dare you to find any music lover on the planet who doesn't know this riff. The hit song 96 Tears has endured for more than 50 years and has arguably defined not one, but three generations. The all-Hispanic question mark in the Mysterians created the lo-fi sound that has become synonymous with garage music. And according to a May 1971 article in Cream Magazine, theirs was the first to be identified as punk rock. And I've got to tell you, I've been looking forward to today's show for a very long time. In fact, I went hunting for this story, which is something I don't often have to do. And it's just a huge bonus that featuring an iconic group made up of all Mexican-Americans is debuting during Hispanic Heritage Month. As I mentioned, I had to go hunting for this story, and that's because it hasn't been told over and over like so many other rock icon stories. Maybe that's because Question Mark and the Mysterians have for years actually been a bit of a mystery. Until now. Here's guitarist Robert Balderrama on the founding of the band. Uh, as I grew up in life, uh, my dad played guitar, he played accordion, he played uh, harmonica. He was just a great musician. And he used to play at Mexican dances. But I used to hear him play at home, you know, and I, want, I, I always wanted to play guitar. You know, and uh, and I would watch I would watch TV shows uh, like uh, Ozzy and Harriet with Ricky Nelson, and I would watch a guitar player for uh, Ricky Nelson, and I would watch him play. You know, and I I used to tell myself I want to play like him. Uh, me and my nephew Larry started the band, but what what happened was we we were around a lot of uh, influence of our parents, so I, I would say uh, that the the that the Mexican influence was definitely there. Uh, in our music, you know, and a lot of people say that it was more Tex-Mex, you know, style. We did write a mm -hmm. Tex-Mex style, like Joe King Carrasco. But I, I was around, and my cousins, they all play guitar. I wanted to re really be a jazz guitarist. That was my dream. But rock and roll was a little bit easier to come by. And it was more influential, you know, in the area. Jazz was, a, you know, and people would listen to Top 40 radio. So, so I was influenced by the radio too, you know, and my sisters loved Elvis Presley. And, and I thought, I thought he was amazing. You know, I, I thought he was, you know, uh, he had black hair, which I thought he maybe he's Mexican. <laughs> <I was laughs> nope. <laughs> in a bottle, black in a bottle. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, and the way he shaked and everything, it was like, wow, it's like a Mexican jumbo bean. Or something, you know? <laughs> and, and, and so I was really impressed with him. My sister thought he was so hot looking, you know, I, I couldn't see that, but I, I liked his black hair. <laughs> yeah, it's all about the hair. And, and so 
you know, I was totally influenced by my parents, my dad, you know, my uncles playing, you know, guitar and accordion, you know, around the house and jamming. And then, and then watching TV, you know, which uh, in the sixties, which I started watching Halabaloo, uh, Shindig, with, uh, you know, all, all these great artists on there. And, and I seen Johnny Rivers and I, and, and I come to find out he was Mexican too. His real name is Johnny Rivera. You know, and he changed his name, you know, to Rivers to sound more American. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think my influences was the TV, radio, and my parents, and my, my mom, dad, my mom singing, and my dad playing, you know, guitar. In your book, you talk about how the band got together, and I'll let people yep. read that for themselves. But yes. uh, you have long become uh, been an icon for garage bands. You're considered the most influential, if not the first. Did you actually play in a garage? <laughs> yeah. We did. We first when we started the band, uh, my sister kept telling you guys got to start a band. She was talking to me and my nephew, which was my sister's son, Larry Borges, <clears throat> and and uh, she said you guys got to get a drummer, you know, and start a band. So we, I, I would go over his house every so often, and, and uh, we jam, you know. And one day, uh, a couple guys showed up, you know, and it was uh, Robert Martinez and Fred Cruz, and, and they had a pair of go- a, a bongos. And I go, wow, we got somebody who can keep a beat. So we started playing, and, and uh, Fred was playing it, and he and uh, he started complaining his hands were hurting. And so he gave it to Robert. We thought he was kind of funny. He goes, I'll, I think I'll sue. <laughs> you know? and, and anyway, uh, so he gave it to Robert Martinez, and Robert started playing it. And I was like, wow, this guy can play. I mean, he had a beat, and he was real steady. So we, we were playing in like uh, Walk, Don't Run or Wipe Out or something like that. And I asked him, I said, do you, have you got a set of drums? And he said, no, but his brother-in-law did. And so we started rehearsing at my parents' farm in Bay City. Uh, we, we were rehearsing in the garage. It was great. And, and my dad, he had to get up, you know, 6 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning to work the farm. We, we, we had like a 40-acre farm. And, and uh, that's what uh, we would practice to about 8 o'clock at night. And he'd go to bed at 7, you know. And so he'd be complaining. I'd hear him. <laughs> complaining in Spanish, you know, he'd be saying, God, these guys need to quit. And my mom would tell him, he'd tell him to be quiet, let them practice, you know, at least they're not getting into trouble. According to encyclopedia.com, 96 Tears, your your big seminal hit, it represented a pivotal period in the evolution of garage rock to punk rock. But my question is this, punk rock has this anti-establishment attitude. They're like in your face, they're angry, but you guys don't come off like you're angry or anti-establishment at all. What would you say Question Mark and the Mysterians stood for? I, I think we stood for our original music mainly, you know, um, but I understand what they were saying because I remember we went to New York, you know, and they hired some, you know, a press agent, you know, that took pictures of us and we went all over New York and our first album was taken on the, on the, uh, right out off the shores. It was a bunch of rocks and we took pictures there in New York City and, and they always told us to look like we were pissed off, <laughs> you know, <laughs> look like you're mad. You know, don't smile. You know, so if you see our photos, we don't smile that much. You know, I I don't know. They were trying to look like, you know, uh, we were like gang guys or something. I don't know. But, but anyway, 
And so I think that created that punk look, you know. But our 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 uh, personalities was not like that, you know. We were all easygoing and you know and just happy-go-lucky, you know. And, and so I think it was the media and the press that that kind of created that because of the photos that we took, you know. That and and then Dave Marsh. Did you read about Dave Marsh? What he he did an article about question mark mysterians and and he and he wrote you know he called the punk rock. And then, and then I found an article where he said that he was very supportive of punk rock. But the, the, the real story I heard was they had asked him, because I think Dave Marsh was from Michigan, like Ann Arbor or Pontiac or something like that. And so he probably knew more about us because he was from Michigan and we were. And, and somebody asked him and said, who, who, are, who are question mark mysterians, you know? And he goes, oh, they're just a bunch of punks. That's what, he, that's what I was told. And, and uh, and so out of that came out punk rock, you know, and uh, and I think, you know, uh, I get a lot of musicians that the contact me and they, con- they consider us the grandfathers, the grandfathers of punk rock, you know, and garage music, you know. And uh, I, I, you know, at first I thought, it, does this sound right, you know, to me? Uh, I mean, I was a punk. I was only 15, 16 years old when the song made it, you know. I, you know, if you want to use that, that kind of a word, you know, I don't know if it's derogatory or not, but now it's not, you know, it's it's looked at as a kind of independent, you know, from the mainstream of rock and roll. And I accept that one. Um, but I, I, you know, I, there was a, a guy that, that kind of coined us the greatest garage band in the world, you know, and I, I was thinking, you know, I, at first, I didn't know if I liked it or not because garage. What is? What is? What, how does it relate to it? But then I realized, hey, we did practice in a garage, you know. And so I, I didn't take it as a, as a negative, you know. I took it as a positive, and and, and to me now it is a positive, you know. Uh, punk rock garage music uh, has its own establishment of categories. Take us back to writing your big hit, 96 Tears. I, it's a funny story. You talk about it. Can you share that with our audience, please? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like, uh, what happened was, uh, Larry, we, when we started the band, The Mysterians, uh, it was me, Larry, uh, uh, and Robert Martinez. Well, we, we would go out and play out and stuff, you know, and, and all we played was instrumentals. So people would ask us, who, who sings in the band? And I go, oh shoot, here we go. We gotta get, we gotta get a singer, because <laughs> I was really into instrumentals. Because I wanted to be a jazz guitarist, you know. Mm-hmm. So I was really into guitar instrumentals, any kind of instrumentals that relate to guitar. But I realized that you know the world was uh, was going away from like Walk Don't Run, The Ventures, you know, Dwayne Eddy, and all these famous guitars. They were kind of like fading into the sunset. Mm-hmm. So I knew that we had to have a singer. So I asked. I asked the guys, I said, we're going to have to get a singer. Anybody know anybody? And Robert mentioned, I didn't mention it in my book, but I'm going to mention it now. Robert said, my brother sings and he dances. He's a great dancer. You know, I said, well, ask him if he'd be interested. You know, so he brought him over practice and I was like blown away. He sounded like Mick Jagger, but he he danced like a girl. He moved his hips like a girl, you know, and I was like, gosh. He's like, he's got better moves than Mick Jagger. <laughs> and, and so I said, God, dude, he's great for the band. So, so we hired him, you know, and it was, I was kind of like the founder and I was like the driving force. Like we used to pick out the songs. Uh, 
because I, I was learning all these instrumentals, but now we had a singer. So everything kind of changed and, and we were more or less, uh, the majority took the rule. And, and so we all agreed on that. And we learned all these cover songs, you know, and, and, and Robert and Larry, uh, were getting drafted during the Vietnam War. So they both joined the buddy system. So we, we had, uh, Frank Lou on bass and Eddie Serrato on drums. And we had, we had them as a replacement and, and we were practicing and, um, I used to practice these two chords all the time because it was called a bar chord, a power chord. And it was really hard for my fingers to, to hit all the strings at one time because you got to play every single string on the guitar with the chord. And, and so I would practice and I was going back and forth from G to C. And uh, and the drummer started playing along with me, you know, the timing wise, and I started timing with him. And the keyboard player started, uh, he started playing, and then before you know, a question mark started singing to it. And and he question mark would take these little tape recorders like you see in the Mission Impossible old old Mission Impossible series TV, but they had these little miniature reel to reels. They're not very big, and they would burn up after they got the message. But anyway, question mark had a recorder like that. Excuse me, and uh, he would record everything that we practiced. So he'd go home and listen to it and and just get familiarized with it. So he was recording it. And, and he told me that uh, he was going to take the song home and, and record it. I mean, write the words down and organize it, you know. And it sounded, it sounded really good when he was, he was singing too many teardrops with what I caught of it. But it wasn't really organized. So uh, when, when he said that, you know, and then Eddie Serrato, the drummer, he said, what are you going to call the song, question mark? And he goes, I'm going to call it uh, too many teardrops. And, 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 and Eddie Sorrell said, why don't we give it a number? You know, and I thought, wow, what, what do you mean by that? So I asked, I said, what, what are you talking about, Ed? And he said, why don't we give it like uh, 69 tears? I started laughing and I go, wait a minute. You know, this is the 60s, even though even as Neiman today, they won't, probably won't play it, you know. Right, but to and you guys, you're you're all a bunch of teenage boys. You think that's the yeah, funniest thing ever, right? Yeah, you know, and I barely kind of knew what it meant. You know, you you have doubts, but you're not really sure. And and I was a, I was only 16 years old, so sex was not really a big thing in my life. You know, playing the guitar was, but I kind of knew what it meant. You know, and, and but you know, it's almost like you want to ask somebody just to make sure that you got the right answer. You know. But I did, you know, and I started laughing, you know, I said, well, you know, those numbers don't sound right. And I said, I get a feeling that the radio is not going to play it, you know, and, and we all started laughing, you know, and, and he goes, well, let's turn the numbers around to 96. And I, and he goes, I said, like 96 tears. And he goes, yeah. And, and so question, we asked question mark, what do you think? And he goes, yeah, I like it. So that's how we got the name 96 tears, you know, and it, it took off, you know, it was a catchy name. Along yeah. with the keyboards too. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, that keyboard is so iconic. Absolutely. Yeah. And you you really hit the pavement and and got your your song on the radio and and I love that part yeah. of the story too. Is it true that you wrote your own postcards to request it to the radio station? Yeah. You heard your own postcard being read. <laughs> yes. What what happened was. Uh, we had taken the, our, our manager, you know, told us, 
she she was more into Tejano music, like a lot of Tejano bands from Texas would come to area here, you know, because there was a lot of migrant workers up here. Mm-hmm. And, and it was her name was Lily Gonzalez, and she, and she became our manager, and she started Pagogo Records for us, and uh, and then she uh, put us in a studio, and uh, and then when when she got the the record, she got five hundred records. She said uh, she called me and Frank, I mean, question mark up, and we went to her house, and she said. Uh, here's 500 records. Go hit the radio stores and, and, and I mean the the radio uh, stations and the music stores, you know. And I looked at her and I said, "Well, I thought that's your job, you, you know. You're the the record company. Aren't you supposed to be a, a distributor and get them out to the radio stations?" She goes, "Yeah, but I don't do rock and roll. I do you know Mexican music, you know. So you guys are pretty much." you guys going to have to take up, um, you know, scratch. And so we did, me and question mark, we, we went to uh, all the radio stations in our area. There was like, uh, there was three radio stations and we dropped all the records and we went to the music stores and we dropped the, the records at the music stores. And, and, and then one DJ got a whole question mark and told him that they were going to, Dick Wagner, I don't know if you're familiar with Dick Wagner, yeah, but he played absolutely. with Alice Cooper and he wrote Only Women Bleed. Very great guitar player. I, I was totally influenced by when I was a little kid. Was, and, and the DJ said that he was going to put our song against theirs in the battle of songs uh, over the radio. And then people could call in or send postcards, you know. And uh, and so we had all our friends. And he told Question Mark, tell all your friends and relatives to call in, you know, because it's going to be a contest. And so he started the contest and, and it was going on. And, and sometimes we won, and then it was so close, and then Dick Wagner would win, and the DJ could see what he was doing. He would say, well, it was really close. We're going to do it again. I, and he was getting a lot of calls, you know. He told a question mark. He goes, yeah, t- tell you all your friends and buddies, you know, after after he he finally gave up on the contest and, and said it was a draw that we both won, you know, and I thought that was really cool because I really did like Dick Wagner. and liked his music. So I, I thought it was it was fair. And then he told a question mark to tell all our friends and, and, and relatives to uh, send postcards and request a song. So me and question mark had an idea. We wanted to bought a whole bunch of these three cent back in the sixties, like three cents for postcards. And they were really postage stamped. So we, we bought a whole bunch of them and went to the uh, surrounding villages and, and dropped them off in there. So they got postmarked from that area. And, and, and we wrote different requests, you know, and one I wrote was, I just broke up with my girlfriend, you know, and 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 I'm really uh, heartbroken. Can you play 96 Tears for me? And and the DJ read it on on the radio, and and he played it, and I, we couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> it was so funny because, you know, and, and, and what's really weird, Chris, is that we didn't do it very long. I would say maybe about three or four days. We we sent him out, and that was it. Then the record took off on its own. And then we got calls from the music stories that they sold out. So I felt confident that it wasn't us that kept that, you know, kept it going. <laughs> Once again, you were doing it yourself before everyone else was doing it themselves. And I think that's yep. it's groundbreaking. It's very clever. So you, the record took off. You guys took off. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got this this swaggering front man that's getting all this attention. So you, when you guys go on tour. I'm wondering if there was any sense of discrimination when you run around, because the, I'm thinking if this is the late 60s, that's the civil rights era, 
and there's a lot of problems happening. But at the same time, it's right right around the summer of love. So there's a lot of love happening too. Where did yeah. question mark and the Mysterians fall in that in that spread? Yeah, uh, I, I would say I didn't see a whole lot of uh, like like racist type you know situations. Uh, it, it was there though. You know, you can sense it. Uh, and, and and then uh, and, and you know the way people talk and stuff like that. But you know the the audience, I would say ninety nine percent of the time never did. They they were so excited to hear the song, you know, and see the band live. I mean, we we played with so many bands. We played with the Yardbirds. We played with the Beach Boys, and the Beach Boys end up we toured with the Beach Boys down in Florida, all around the coast, from the Gulf to the Atlantic. Miami, Jacksonville, Tampa, all those cities we played with the Beach Boys. And they were using our equipment. I never got a chance to meet them because they would come into the back of the uh, arena in a, in a uh, limousine and they would jump out of the limousine and jump on stage and pick up the guitars and, and start playing. And when they were done, they just jumped back to the limo and went back to the hotel. I didn't really understand that because I thought maybe they would be there for the fans. Because we we used to be there for our fans, and we would you know talk to them, you know. And I I, would, I, I used to like to go out and watch the bands play from the audience view, and, and when we were done playing, because we we opened up for them, and I would watch the Beach Boys because they were amazing to watch. Their voices were amazing. Just the, their music was all right, you know. I mean, I didn't I didn't classify them as uh, you know uh, great musicians. Mm-hmm. I would say they were amazing singers and that's what made them, you know, and their music was so low and, and you could hear their, their, their voice is so good. And they had great harmonies, just amazing harmonies, one following the other. And it, it was just, I, I was blown away by that. But, you know, uh, all the bands we met, they were great to us. We went on tour with uh, the McCoys and the Outsiders and uh, the Seeds. You know, and, and we all got along really good, except when whenever we would pull up to do to the venue, like a big theater where they had the, like a like the billboard, you know, like a marquee. And, and yeah, yeah, and, and so they would put our name up top first, question mark Mysterians, and they would list you know a couple of the ones and others, you know, and, and I could see a lot of those guys that we traveled with, they, they were really happy with that, you know. I sense that, you know, and uh, and I heard somebody I could hear. It. We, we we traveled all together in a Greyhound bus, so it wasn't like we were on a tour bus. We were like nothing but seats, and so we we kind of hung out all together, just walk around and talk to each other. But I could hear somebody in the background, and any and then somebody said, "Well, how how do how do they rate? They they got first billing, they, they, and we've had more songs than them, you know. But our song was making it; it was number one right at that time, so. That's the way the music, the music business is. It's who's ever on top at the time gets top billing, you know. And then when we went on tour with Question Mark, uh, we we pretty much did our own shows. We played in San Francisco at the Great Hall. It was an amazing place to play. And 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 then they had a band to open up for us. So I I, I don't know what it was like, you know. I mean, as far as the billing felt, you know, it was intense as far as. Uh, as any kind of races uh, situations. As you mentioned, that's the music industry. And yep. the next day with the music industry, you can be on the bottom. You tell this right. 
kind of hilarious story, although it's it's bittersweet, but you tell the story that you guys got unceremoniously dropped in. You happen to be in Hollywood. You had no money. Uh, can you tell the audience how, how you uh, <laughs> decided to make a little bit of money one day? You were in Hollywood and, and something happened yeah. that gave you an idea. Yeah. Uh, what started out was, question I got a call from Mark Taylor, and uh, he's a producer, and he wanted us to come to L.A. to record an album, our third album. And he said he could get us a gig for like $5,000 for a couple of weeks. You know, I think we figured $10,000 that that would get us to, to finish the album. But we went to, we went to California with the new uh, uh, members and we had written all these songs and uh, uh, we recorded at Ray Charles studio in LA. And uh, it was just a great time. And I was really looking forward to it. And we went and to, uh, set up at the gig that, that uh, Mark got us for us to help promote, help uh, pay for our, our trip and, and staying there and have some extra money. And, and so we, we were setting up to go play and, and the owner came up to uh, me and he, he goes, how, how old are you? And I said, well, I'm 18, you know, and this was after a couple of years after the record had made it. And, uh, and he goes, how old is the keyboard player? I see 17. He goes, I can't have you guys play here. You gotta be 21 to play in, in this county. It was Orange County, I remember. And and, uh, and so we kind of lost that $5,000 gig. You know, we were gonna do two gigs and then we made 10,000. So uh, Mark Taylor hooked us up at Gazzari's on the Strip, Sunset Boulevard, and right next to Whiskey of Gogo's. And, and, you know, and I said, oh, it's not Whiskey of Gogo's? He goes, no, but it's right next door. I knew about Whiskey Gogo because I read about Johnny Rivers. He made his mark there. And, and I said, Gazzari, he's okay, that's cool. He's only got a gig. He goes, but you're not making 5000 You know, you're only going to make $500 a night. And I go, oh, shoot. <laughs> What's so much? What a big difference. So we had enough money to pay for our, our room we rented for the month. And, and or, you know, get food, go to the grocery store. But we had no money. I mean, I smoke cigarettes, you know, and, and, uh, and we like to have snacks and like potato chip bag of chips or whatever. And, and and so I was walking down Hollywood and Vine, you know, just checking out all the sidewalks with all the famous names and everything. This guy comes up to me and he says, have you got any spare change, you know? And I'm thinking, wow, uh, do I look rich? And so I was thinking myself, I didn't say that. But uh, I, I thought, wow, you know, I said, no, I don't got no money, you know? And he goes, well, okay. And he walked away. So I went back to our, our apartment, our suite that we had, and and, uh, and I told the guy, I said, you know, this guy came up to me and he was he wanted to, some spare change, you know, and he asked if I had any. I said, you know, that's a great idea. We're broke and we got enough money to, to hold us over to to pay for the place and food, but we I don't I don't have no money for cigarettes or uh, uh, snacks, and so we all decided we were all going to go out and. Uh, uh, and ask for a spare change. And we all did, you know, and, and it worked, you know, it, it wasn't really that popular back then in the 60s, you know, so like it is now, you know, I'm, I'm thinking the homeless people probably don't do that anymore. But even Question Mark came back with uh, a bag full of cigarettes, <laughs> different <laughs> brands. <laughs> and, and, and we were all just so, so delighted that we could go to the convenience store the local convenience store, you know, and, and buy a bottle of pop or, <laughs> instead of drinking water all the time, you know, <laughs> and 
and so it really worked, you know. And I and I, I wasn't proud. I mean, I was a musician, you know, and musicians are known to be uh, starving sometimes. <laughs> I wanted to, to ask a question from uh, one of our listeners. This is from Chris in Detroit. He wants to, to ask you, um, do you feel that the intentional mystery around your band helped or hurt your long-term careers? Well, uh, I think it, it kind of did both, you know. Uh, I, I think about, okay, uh, question mark. When we started the band, our manager gave us each a letter. I was X. You know, Mr. X and Larry was Mr. Uh, y, Mr. Z and Robert was Mr. Y and question mark was question mark. That was before we had the keyboard player, but I couldn't stick to it. You know, uh, we would play at dances and, and uh, one of our managers that really came in, at, one of our first managers that really liked the band, he hired us for a Mexican uh, engagement where it was like the GI form, which is kind of like a, a, a venue for uh uh, Latinos, Hispanics, or whatever, you know, and, and so he hired, and we played down in Adrian, Michigan, and and, um, and I was 16 years old, so I was about that age where, you know, I thought girls were cute and everything, you know, and and, and so we were playing, and that, you know, and after we were done playing, this girl came up there, and she goes, what's your name? And I said, uh, and I'm, I'm thinking, well, and I thought about it, and I go, oh, I'm not supposed to tell her my name. So I told her, uh, I'm Mr. X. She goes, you're what? <laughs> and she made this weird looking face like I was um, kind of a weirdo. <laughs> and so, you, you know, when you're that age, peer pressure is really immense. You know, and when, what a girl thinks about you, it has a lot to do with your thoughts of feeling confident or not. And, and when I saw Mr. X, she, she goes, that's weird. And I said, well, my name, my real name is Bobby. <laughs> she goes, oh, I like that better. <laughs> and so I, I couldn't stick to it. And, and, it, and the rest of the guys didn't either. It, it was too hard. But question mark, because, it, it, you know, he was a little kind of different, you know. And, and, uh, and so he stuck with question mark, you know. And, and so uh, I don't even like to tell people his name, but his name is Rudy Martinez. Because I, we don't care anymore. I'm 71 years old. <laughs> What's going to happen to me now? He can't fire me. You know? Right. That's right. But, <laughs> but the, the, the way I say it it, it, it was question mark. It was Robert Martinez's brother. And his name is Rudy. And, and he stuck to the name, you know. And I, I give him a lot of affirmation. But I, I think it kind of hurt him because people don't know, you know, and they assume that his name is Rudy Martinez because on a the record, they put Rudy Martinez as a writer. And I wish they wouldn't have done that. I talked to our manager and I told her, I said, why do you put Rudy Martinez? We all wrote the song together. She goes, well, one name, it's a little bit easier, you know, and then you will do a contract where everybody gets equal pay. I had no choice to go along with it, you know, so, and, and, and so I think in the long run, uh, a lot of people don't know his real name, and they some people think they know. You know, it's Rudy Martinez, but I, I'm here to say it is definitely Rudy Martinez. You know, and, and uh, I, I I think uh, it has hurt him, but in a way, it, it kind of brought something out. 
I uh, w- we did a reunion with uh, for Joe King Carrasco. I don't know if you remember him or not. Uh-huh. But uh, sure. he he was he was on MTV in the '80s a lot, and and he had a song called uh, uh, "Party Party Weekend," and he was on uh, Saturday Night Live, and he used to wear a crown like uh, like the, uh, uh, the Imperial Crown commercial for butter. You know, he wore a crown like that and a cape, and he would do the James Brown thing. He'd, he when he was done playing, he would walk off stage and. And then and then he'd run on stage and and, and then the, his manager would put the cape over him and he'd, he'd walk him off and he'd run back out. Joe King was very very entertaining to watch. And, and, and anyway, uh, you know, we we did an opening. We we opened up with Joe King in Texas. We did like I think it was four gigs, three or four gigs, and we were going to open up in Dallas. And, and I, I think it was one of the ladies there from MTV. She was really nice too. And, and and she was there. She was the host. It was like a New Year's, and and I think MTV was filming it, and they filmed the uh, the recording and everything. We uh, question mark said that he had to be on, on a radio uh, interview uh, that night, and, and he was telling me he goes, I don't know what to tell him because I don't want them to know anything about me. And I just I told him I said, well, you know, the Mysterians it comes from the name uh, comes from uh, the Japanese movie. That's what Larry came up with. My nephew, he he saw we were watching. Uh, we used to like to watch Godzilla Japanese movies on, on Saturday afternoons, and, and and we started watching. It was these Martians were invaded Earth. And anyway, uh, so I told a question mark when you do the radio interview, I told him I just tell him that we're from Michigan and you're from Mars, you know. So he told them he was from Mars, and the guy thought that was Mars, Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> nope. He goes, is that? Man, we were. I was. I was on the floor. I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> and the guy thought Quasimark was kind of loony. I could, I could see. He goes, "Oh, oh, okay." You know, like it was. It was so funny. And so after that, you know, uh, he, he did it. The Daily Show, and, and we were in New York. We were playing a, a gig there, and and then the Quasimark had a motorhome. And they did the, they did the interview in the motorhome and and Greg, and Greg asked him you know he goes well I hear you from Mars you know what what part of Mars are you from so it, it was it was hilarious this and question mark talk you know that he he was from Mars and uh, and he came from uh, and he was born you know when when the uh, dinosaurs were were alive and all that stuff you know so you know I I think you know if you want to look at it that way if that hurt him. I think it was hilarious, you know, and it created a comedy kind of effect. Are Question Mark the Mysterians planning on doing any more shows? And uh, and tell us where we can find you, Robert, next. Okay. Yeah, uh, I, I put on a, uh, it was this summer, I put on a homeless concert. I call it 96 Tears Day. And uh, it's a, I, and it's a theme uh, like a cry for the homeless. Ninety six tears day. I thought fit the theme really good. And, and um, I talked to Question Mark about performing, you know, and he said he would do it. But then what happened was uh, the, the Delta variants came around uh, in our area, and Question Mark right now he's having uh, high blood pressure problems, and uh, I don't know if he's got it under control. I have a high blood pressure too. I got it under control. Uh, and, and so I don't know if he got the shot, you know, the, the COVID-19 uh, vaccination. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got mine, you know, and 
So I don't, I don't, I didn't want to ask him. And, and so just right a week before the concert, he decided he didn't want to do it because of the, the Delta uh, virus, the variants coming in, in our area. And, and so uh, we, we were going to do it without him. But I, I don't see a whole lot of uh, uh, us, you know, things going on tour anymore. We're, we're all in our 70s now. And mm-hmm. so uh, touring is really hard, Chris, because, you, you know, like when you tour, you, you hit great events and like great, you know, and you get paid good. Then, then you hit uh, not so great uh, venues like clubs and stuff where maybe one from one place to another is like three or four days you don't have nothing to do. So they'll book you in a club to make some money to keep the tour going. And, and so uh, that, that, that becomes really hard to do. Yeah, I, I, I think that uh, question my Mysterians, I think our days are pretty numbered, you know. Uh, the Mysterians, we still play locally. I, I'm looking forward for my smooth jazz band to be touring, and not, not touring, but doing jazz festivals. You, you mentioned that the contract was with question mark and not the rest of the band, even though you're kind of the originator of the band. Is that kind of why we haven't heard any of this other music because all the contracts are with question mark? Well, what it is, we, we recorded for a whole year. Frank was living with, he was living in his mom's home and he had a basement, like a practice room and we were practicing and recording. And we recorded for a whole year, a whole bunch of songs I put together because uh, I, I, I kind of, I'm kind of like the instigator. I, I come up with chords, you know, and, and then I show them to Frankie and he makes it better. And then we show it to Question Mark. We are a great writing team, the three of us. Just he would Question Mark would write lyrics, the melody lines. And, and we were great at that. And so I, I, I'm really good with chords and, and putting them together and stuff. So uh, that's what we did for a whole year. And we recorded it. And great songs. I mean, I tried to keep the sound like the 60s. You know, I, I, I tried not to make it sound like newer style or nothing like mm-hmm. that. And, and uh, we we didn't have a really good recording studio. We had like a Tascam 12-channel board portable Tascam. And a Question Mark manager recorded it. You know, and I keep asking Question Mark, I said, what are you going to do with those songs, you know? And he kept telling me, well, I'm going to put it out my own label. He had a label called Peacock Records. Mm-hmm. And so I thought he was going to release it, you know, and so I'm just waiting on him. But I, I realized that I can't wait on him. So what, what I'm doing is my smooth jazz. We have two albums out. We got a third album ready to go. But I'm waiting for this new song called Any Moment that's doing great uh, on YouTube and is doing great on Billboard and Media Base. It's already uh, hit. It got into the top 100. You know, and it's only been two weeks, and it's at eighty-five, I think, right now, and uh, and the uh, media-based smooth jazz chart, and and it's got listed on the smooth jazz network, and, and it's doing great. So where I spend most of my energy is at smooth jazz because I, I feel that question mark Mysterians legacy. You know, I want the legacy to go on. You know, and people remember us. But as far as going out and playing anymore I, I don't think that's going to happen anymore i wish it would yeah we have an opportunity right now to open up a grand funk railroad they're, they're talking a guy from hollywood is doing a documentary and we know those guys really good we we grew up you know jamming I, I know those guys when we were little kids before they even made it you know before we were all recording we, we would all play the same venues hey, i'm looking forward to that but i don't know if question i want to do it or not 
So uh, I'm thinking, you know, the Mysterians would do it. You know, uh, the Mysterians, we're, we're great as the Mysterians. I sing, everybody sings in the band and we have all great singers. And, and so uh, I'm looking forward to doing that. But, you know, I'll leave it up to question mark. To me, you know, it's it's his move, you know, like when you play chess, it's his move now. Yeah. And, and, and my move is to move forward with my smooth jazz because that's what I've always really enjoyed, you know, playing. Final question for you here. Um, uh, You spent many years in like the gear world uh, and technology and music uh, products. How do you think the sound of Question Mark and the Mysterians would sound differently if you guys came up today? There's so many gizmos and everything. Do you think yep. you still would have gone for that raw lo-fi sound or do you think it would have changed with synthetic things? I, I feel whatever is usable at your moment of time and you're in, you're going to end up doing, you know? So I, I'd say we were lucky that they didn't have those gizmos back then because the sound that we had was created by the rawness of what you said. And, and so I, I say the time and, and the uh, technology wasn't there back then, and it was uh, advantageous to us. You know, but as far as Mysterians, we, we created a sound with our rawness. So that, to me, that was great. With, with my smooth jazz, I'm definitely going to use a new technology. Thank you so very much for being a guest on the show today. Uh, and thank you Chris, for having me on the show. And that'll do it for this episode of Text, Pros, and Rock and Roll. My guest has been Robert Balderrama, founding member of Question Mark and the Mysterians, whose hit 96 Tears will have its, get this, 55th anniversary of being a number one song on October the 29th of this year. In the meantime, in this decade, Robert's latest work is featured on a song called Any Moment by the soft jazz group LaSonic. Here's a sample. You can also see the music video for Any Moment on YouTube, and you'll find Robert's smooth jazz group, The Robert Lee Review, playing all over the Great Lakes area. And finally, his self-published Question Mark and the Mysterians, an American icon story, can be found on RLB Publishing. Now here come this week's liner notes. Text, Prose, and Rock and Roll was created, written, and produced by yours truly in association with GoTo Productions, Charlene Goto Producer. Thank you to my guest, Robert Balderrama, and Dr. J at Michigan Rock and Roll Legends, too. Music this week comes to us from J.R. Tundra and Silent Partners. In addition to, of course, Laysonic and Question Mark and the Mysterians, please continue to share our program with your friends. You'll find us on Instagram and online, too. Don't forget to subscribe to this show on Apple, and we truly do appreciate your positive reviews. If you haven't yet left one, please consider doing so. It really helps us out. For text, prose, and rock and roll, I'm Chris Kosach. Rock on.